listening to the Pharmacy Podcast Network. Welcome to the Integra X-Files, a place where we'll explore and solve for the X-Factor that will help reshape the future of long-term care pharmacy. Join us to discuss topics and insights that will help you discover ways to grow your pharmacy, stay up to date on important legislative and regulatory issues, learn best practices for operating a profitable pharmacy business, and unlock the mysteries of technology. Join hosts Francis Nahas, Chief Strategy Officer for Red Sail Technologies, and Jim McDonald, Vice President of Sales at Integra, as they connect with experts and leaders in the field to bring you content that matters in long-term care. Welcome to the Integra X-Files podcast. I'm your host, Jim McDonald, and I'm joined today by guest host Ed Vess, our Red Sail Director of Pharmacy Professional Affairs. Ed, tell us about your role with Red Sail and your background in pharmacy. Yeah, I'm uh, Director of Pharmacy Professional Affairs for Red Cell Technologies. Uh, spent uh, a little over 30 years in a long-term care setting, everything from a consultant pharmacist to an operations manager to a, a hub manager for one of the large groups. And uh, got an offer to come to QS1 Integra several years ago and jumped at the opportunity. So glad to be here. And we're glad you're here. Our discussion for the X-Files podcast will be around vaccines, uh, prepare and grow tomorrow. Vaccines can include COVID, flu, pneumonia, and shingles vaccines. With that topic in mind, we have a great guest with us today. Our guest is Emily Powers, the president of Medicine Express Pharmacy. Emily, we truly appreciate you joining us today. If you could introduce yourself and tell us about your role and give us some of your background as well. Sure. Thanks for having me, Jim. I appreciate the invitation. Um, my name is Emily Powers. I'm a PharmD. I am the president at Medicine Express Pharmacy, a long-term care pharmacy. I've been here um, just over four years. Prior to Medicine Express, I was a general manager at Omnicare, and prior to that, pharmacy manager, pharmacist in charge at the Target stores, which were acquired by CVS. I've worked in pharmacy since I was about 17 years old. It's in my blood. Um, and love having this opportunity at Medicine Express to be innovative and kind of grow long-term care pharmacy in ways that have not happened yet. Perfect. Well, we're glad you're here. Uh, today's discussion is going to be around uh, vaccinations. I'm going to let the pharmacists really talk about where this starts and where, where it's going today. And Ed, I'll let you drive some of that. You've got some great ideas and some great topics here. Well, I, I think we probably need to start out with something that uh, Emily and I have learned in the last 24 hours, and uh, that being uh, the boosters. So, Emily, why don't you expand upon that, what we have learned? In the last 24 hours? Yeah, yeah, what we learned <laughs> last night and this morning. Um, quite comical, actually, that this is a, you know, the week following a major national holiday. A lot of pharmacies are closed on Monday, and they change the rules during a very busy week. Um, I certainly running a long-term care pharmacy don't have time to read the guidelines every morning before I come into work. And I had a COVID clinic scheduled for today at one of my long-term care communities scheduled this two weeks ago. Community told me the health department kept canceling and their residents were getting very anxious. So I was happy to jump in and do the clinic. Find out yesterday as I was actually preparing for this topic today that the vaccine I have in stock is no longer authorized to administer as a booster dose. So 
you know, put me in a very difficult situation. I know how much work goes into preparing a vaccine clinic in a long-term care community. And I know those residents were already awake before I was this morning waiting for me to get there and had to call and talk this through with the director and um, the director of nursing. And ultimately we all agreed, nothing can be done about this today. I have the vaccine on order for the bivalent booster. I'm really hoping it shows up by next week and I can go back out next week, but amazing how things can change so rapidly, you know, in a environment where pharmacists are already spread really thin. So really hurt my soul to have to make that call this morning. Um, but that's where we are. And that's, you know, the rapidly evolving beast that is COVID. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, that, that was uh, tough. And I reached out to several other pharmacies and, and no one was aware of that. Um, I don't think the CDC did a very good job of making us as pharmacists aware uh, of their new requirements. Could not agree more. And, you know, the thought that's gone through my head all day is what would have happened if you hadn't asked me to be on this podcast and I would have gone forward with the clinic and administered the boosters and then realized um, after the fact that shouldn't have happened. So it's a scary position. And, you know, I'm grateful I had you to reach out to and kind of bounce ideas off of, but I'm glad to hear I wasn't alone and not knowing the latest change in the booster recommendations. Good thing you were able to cancel that today. That's, yeah. uh, that's yeah. interesting. Yeah. So mm -hmm. if you need any help catching up on that, Emily, give me a call and Jim will fly me up there. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> they say if you want to, if you want something to be not noticed, put it out in the news on Friday. So I'm surprised they didn't do that today. Exactly. So no yeah. kidding. Well, I think the guideline though. changed, you know, right day before the holiday. So a lot of people were already off for the holiday weekend. And then I know we were closed on Monday. So Tuesday and Wednesday were your typical day after a holiday. We were working 12 hour days and mm. we were not aware. And now yeah. I have a freezer full of the vaccine. Wow. You know, because I had flu clinics scheduled for the next six weeks and a lot of them want the COVID booster with the flu clinic. Oh, yeah. So yeah. it seems incredibly wasteful to not not use this. And I'm just really hopeful that I receive a shipment of the bivalent booster before my first clinic, clinic. That is scheduled to do both or my next mm -hmm. clinic. Yeah, today would have been the first, but my next clinic. Well, we, we started off with some negative news. Some positive news is uh, starting right now with the, this flu vaccine season, uh, Medicare Part B, as in boy, has increased our administration fees from around $18, uh, dollars to $30 per for flu, pneumonia, and hepatitis B. So those are the only Part B coverage. So yeah, bad news, good news. Uh, it, it's good that we've got that. And uh, the, the $40 for the uh, COVID remains in, in effect for now. So Emily, I, I know that you do a lot of clinics. Are, do you make any attempt to try to do the uh, offsite? Uh, I know in the residential care, uh, CMS said that we could count that as, an, as a home visit for one patient. Have you pursued that or are you, you just going in and saying, I'm taking care of the patients in this facility and just billing them individually? I was actually unaware of that. That's great news and something I would be likely to pursue. But to date, we have not. Um, we've treated this as you know, a pharmacy in service. We work with the staff while we're there and just really a great opportunity to be face to face with our residents. Um, and we just bill it like a traditional vaccine with yeah. the administration fee. But I think that home visit would be a huge advantage and really, you know, kind of drive the incentive in pharmacists offering these clinics 
more. Um, you know, I service a wide uh, geographic area and there's always, you know, travel expense and mm -hmm. you know, food and transportation and rental cars usually for some of these. So if there's an additional revenue stream, it would be more enticing. Yeah. So unfortunately, the, the fee is only applicable to one visit. So no matter how many patients we take care of in that visit, that additional fee is only for one. But uh, when you get into some of the smaller clinics like you do, you know, where you've just got a few patients there, that additional fee sort of helps offset some of those costs. Okay. So yeah, is that, a, how do you, how do you bill for that? Is that through um, like an amnesis platform or a prescription? Uh, it's, it's part, it, you code it differently uh, as you, you add an additional add to the incentive fee and code accordingly. And I'll get okay. that information to you. And uh, Jim, I'll make sure that we post it on the hub for anybody else that may be interested. Yeah, That's great. Yeah. Hopefully be able to try it out next week then. Yeah. yeah. Great and Emily, you, Ed, you said something about Emily does a lot of clinics. We heard last, uh, the other day she did 75 clinics in 14 states last year. So, and you said you're probably going to do something like that this year as well. Yeah, um, that is accurate. We do, we are licensed in 14 states. I am personally licensed in eight states. My other pharmacists provide coverage for licensing in the other states. And um, it just evolved out of necessity. We had communities that I've serviced for years that historically utilized a local pharmacy to come in and do their vaccine clinics. And they were being told no and turned down left and right. So, you know, this is, to me, now part of my core business and a, a service that differentiates my pharmacy from other pharmacies that, you know, we've taken the appropriate steps for the licensing for my pharmacist and the pharmacy, and we can go on site and offer this. You've been able to grow your business a little bit as a result of that, grow your revenue? Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the revenue stream um, was much larger than anticipated. The demand was much larger than anticipated mm. and the return on investment with relationships with the community and the residents has been very positive. Yeah. Uh, Emily, you and I talked a little bit about this yesterday mm. uh, where CMS, you know, historically in a skilled facility, um, the facility has been required to do the billing for uh, vaccine administration where during the emergency order of the pandemic, they're going to allow pharmacies to, to bill for the vaccine and the administration from the pharmacy. And we were talking a little bit about staffing shortages, how, how the facilities are dealing with that, but the pharmacies as well. Absolutely. I think that like I mentioned to you, that's the rate limiting step on growth. It's yeah. not that there is a shortage in growth opportunity. There's a shortage in ability to support that growth um, for the communities as well. I've even heard some communities turning down admissions because they're not staffed appropriately to support the new move-ins. Um, same goes, you know, for pharmacies. We, you know, start planning these flu clinics as soon as we finish the previous year, we take notes. What do we want to do differently to make it run smoother next year? So we plan all year for these clinics. Um, I can't imagine, you know, the labor and effort that must happen at the community level in a skilled nursing community. And if they're short staffed and utilizing agency nurse, is that even an option? Yeah. You had a pharmacist tell me in California the other day that uh, he's hiring people and they're leaving in three days. So it's obviously hard to staff. And I'm sure that you know, anywhere you go, there's a for hiring sign. Restaurants are closed two days a week now because they can't staff. Same with pharmacies, et cetera. So, yeah, it's a tough time. 
that happened to us this week. We had a new hire start this week. And after two days, they did not return. Now, shame on us. They started the day after a holiday, um, but they willingly Uh said that they knew what they were walking into and they were used to a busy environment. So um, typically we don't recommend starting people on Mondays or the day after a holiday, but if they volunteer for it, we'll take the help. Probably won't let that happen even if they volunteer for it again, because they didn't come back today. Yeah, Yeah, too much work. Yeah. 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 Well, uh, uh, something else that uh, I think is good uh, starting in January, the, the for Medicare and uh, Medicaid recipients, they won't have a copay on vaccines anymore. And uh, I, I think that's good. I, I think I shared the other day, I still work a weekend a month to keep myself current. But uh, I, I see a number of uh, patients, especially with the Med-D plans, that they can't take their Shingrit shot in January, February because the copay is so high where this is going to uh, negate that and hopefully open some doors, make it easier for you as you go into clinics or perform yeah. clinics and go into facilities. Yeah, um, that's huge. We actually you know, offered that when preparing for this year's clinics. Um, we didn't just offer flu. We wanted to offer anything that they needed at the time. Um, we didn't have a huge response on the shingles vaccines, but I think as we're there in person and talking about it this year, it might we might have a better better request for it next year. But um, yeah, historically that has been a barrier to receiving that vaccine is the copay. Yeah, and if, while we're talking about money, uh, I think one of the challenges we all face is, is when we get into the Medicare Advantage plans. Right? We as pharmacists and uh, pharmacy managers and uh, pharmacy owners really like Med B, but uh, because you know, it, it was some decent reimbursement for the administration. Unfortunately, our Medicare A or our Medicare Advantage patients in Part B, uh, we don't get reimbursed quite as well on those and uh, some are better than others. I just wonder, have you had much issue with those, uh, the Medicare Advantage plans where you end up in the hole given a vaccine? Most definitely. Again, one of the things that we've changed year to year, the first year that I did clinics, um, I think was three years ago, and it evolved out of panic. Communities called and said, you know, we had a clinic scheduled and they just didn't show up and they won't reschedule. So we kind of did it on the fly and build, you know, after we administered the vaccine, we'd collect all the documentation, come back to the pharmacy and bill it and then find out, you know, 10% of what we gave wasn't covered, Um, whether it be an advantage plan, they didn't have insurance at all and it's private pay, or they got caught in the loophole of hospice where hospice won't cover it and the insurance thinks that hospice should. So there's a loophole there. Um, And so as a result of that, yes, we were in the hole for a large percentage of vaccines the first couple of years. This year, we are running test claims. We've actually been working on this all summer. We started collecting consent forms in June, entering the prescription, running a test claim, backing it out and logging it on an Excel file, patient name, vaccine, was it covered? Yes or no. Um, And we will not be administering vaccines this year for those residents who were not covered Mm -hmm. unless they provide a form of payment before we come. Good. Yeah, it's uh, unfortunate that that we get forced into that position as the pharmacist in front of the patient when uh, it's actually the insurer or the, the plan that's the problem. 
It is. And it was really unfortunate for the number of phone calls my billing team had to manage you know, last year as a result of angry family members refusing to pay for that vaccine, even though it had been given. So um, it's not common for pharmacies to, it's not common for a vaccine clinic to turn anybody away. But when you have those type of experiences, you have to protect your business and Mm -hmm. COVID vaccine and booster, you know, there's no cost to the pharmacy, but a high dose flu shot is $75. So it's not something that we can overlook. Yeah, with, with the uh, the COVID, you know, the HRSA uh, funding for the uninsured that they ran out of money in April, uh, so that's not going to be something that we can apply this year. But uh, like you said, when we don't have any money in the uh, vaccine itself, it's just our labor. Um, being the the good folks that pharmacists are, we often just go ahead and bite the bullet and give the vaccine and move forward. Absolutely. And that is the guidance I've given my pharmacists and all of these clinics, you know, there fortunately is not an expense to the pharmacy right now to obtain the vaccine. And if we're going anyways, it's just, you know, goodwill, good faith, vaccinate as many people as you can. And that's where pharmacists have really shined through COVID. Um, But yeah, the loss of the HRSA funding definitely hurts. Yeah. Yeah. So when, when you started doing the vaccines a few years ago, uh, I'm guessing that you had to get a medical billing intermediary to convert the prescription claims to medical claims for the Part B drugs. How was that experience for you? Was it tough or easy? As everything the last five years, it was a learning curve. Um, We did utilize Omnisys and they had some platform changes from Strand and, you know, some platform changes that happened right in the middle of us ramping up with it. Um, but we did use Omnisys and my billing team and I did figure it out, but it was a curve, that's for sure. And along that same curve, all of a sudden you're starting to report uh, to state registries and with you going into 14 states, that had to be a challenge. Yes, it was. Um, Initially, we only did vaccines in um, Illinois and Missouri because of our geographic location, I had no problem getting connected with the health department and the vaccine registries for those states specifically. I had a few states tell me no, that because we weren't physically located in the state, they would not grant access to the state registry. So I had to turn those down over you know, last year and this year. Fortunately, there's been you know, positive movement there and we've been able you know, to manually report these. Um, but it, yeah, it, is a whole nother step and it's not a billable part of the service. We go and, you know, provide these clinics. And then I have technicians that spend, you know, days manually entering, logging the vaccines that were given. Not only all the logging you're doing, but this process of all these states and all these facilities, it's got to be a major scheduling uh, nightmare for you. So do you have somebody internally that does that you got a travel agent that arranges all your rental cars hotels etc we should have a travel agent on staff that's a great tip yeah i'm gonna put that one in my pocket um so the first year it started really small we just did you know communities in illinois and missouri and i drove my minivan with three techs and we would get it done um as it has evolved we utilize um we have some prn pharmacists that are great help and my consultant pharmacist so i have three pharmacists that do our clinical consulting. So they do the vaccine clinics and the communities that they consult for, and they kind of champion scheduling 
planning their travel. They're used to that as part of their job already. And then we utilize a couple of local um, PRN pharmacists that, you know, just work part time and are happy to pick up a few shifts giving vaccines and they help us out, you know, where they can. But scheduling is um, extremely challenging. Realistically, we spend most of the summer figuring out what day our first shipment is going to come in and how many vaccines we can give with that first shipment. And then the second, you know, the vaccines come in tapered. So you get like a third, a third, a third, you get your first shipment, hopefully in August, if you're lucky, your second shipment, mid September and your third shipment, end of September, early October, but every community wants their flu clinic. You know, in the same three week period. So how do you make that happen? Um, it is definitely kind of keeping all the balls in the air and a juggling act. Um, but we've I'm very optimistic that this year is going to go smoothly and we're not going to run into any shortages unless the bivalent booster becomes an issue. There you go. We did um, two years ago when they started allowing technicians to give vaccines. I did put seven of my technicians through the um, American Pharmacy Association immunization training, and they were so excited to help um, to give, you know, a technician a little bit more clinical responsibility. I was very happy to see how much my team embraced it and they were ready to help, ready to jump in and help. So that made the scheduling significantly easier, you know, for a large 100 bed community. Historically, I would have had to send two or three pharmacists. Now I can send one pharmacist and two techs. And having somebody there to do the paperwork for you while you're of course, you're doing a lot of that in advance. But, yeah, uh, we are. Um, we do send an administrative person if we have someone available to double check the consents are filled out correctly, double check, you know, the spreadsheet that we're not vaccinating anyone that doesn't have a paid claim. So if you have an administration, an administrative person available, it doesn't even have to be a technician, just someone that can come along mm-hmm. and, you know, double check paperwork for you. That helps. Yeah, I, I remember the uh, first offsite clinic I did. I took my daughter with me, and she was in junior high school then, and she was my administrator during that process. And it was amazing how much help she was, and she really enjoyed it. So that's uh, fantastic. That that was fun for her and I. We, you know, fifteen years later, we still talk about it. That's awesome. My kids are 10 and 12 and I joke with them every day. I can't wait for them to turn 16 (laughs) and come work in the pharmacy. They might be the only help I can find. Um, But I, yeah, that's great. I mean, I think bringing your family into it gives them, you know, an outlook on what you're passionate about and they're excited about it. That's a win. I think we've heard that many pharmacies gained business as a result of getting into the vaccine business, especially when COVID hit them. Um, we have a pharmacy, a pharmacist in Omaha, Nebraska. He did 60,000 uh, COVID vaccinations in his, his organization. But he added so much business because they stepped up to do that, uh, where others, like you said earlier, just wouldn't do it. So he, he gained a ton of business. Sounds like you, again, uh, did that. And it was good marketing for you, business growth, obviously revenue growth again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, um, yeah. yeah, that's fantastic. 60,000 COVID vaccines. That's that's incredibly impressive. We, yeah. you know, didn't do a fraction of that, um, but where it did really help was the presence in the community. You know, if there's a resident in the community that you're already servicing that isn't using your pharmacy, you know, showing that you're there to support them and stepping in when nobody else will is an easy way to win over that business. Um, and then, you know, being proactive and outspoken in your local community, there's always a need. I'm surprised how many 
communities have reached out to me just in the last two weeks wanting to schedule a clinic now that it's kind of down to the wire. They're still looking to get those clinics scheduled. So it is great marketing if you're willing to do it. And you're not their uh, full-time pharmacy uh, generally. Right. Yeah. Um, Independent living communities typically don't fall under the long-term care pharmacy services bucket, but there's a huge under undermet need for those communities. So that's where a lot of my requests for clinics have come from. Um, And then it's easy to pick up some independent business there. But um, I think what Ed mentioned earlier about the skilled nursing, that could be a big change, you know, a game changer for a lot of pharmacies. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So when COVID first hit before, you know, the vaccine was under development and, and not available yet, uh, reaching out to several friends at own long-term care pharmacies, a lot of the smaller ones were saying, you know, I, I, I don't think I want to get involved in this because they'd never done medical billing before. Uh, but after seeing how poorly those two large chains handled vaccinating nursing homes, uh, they got into the game late and were amazed at the number of facilities that they didn't service that were right around the corner were calling them to come in just like you. They they got called into it. And uh, they, they're not quite where you are as far as moving forward with it as a business model, but they are performing the service. So um, kudos to you for, for jumping in, uh, picking up the slack of others and, and turning it into something good for your pharmacy. Yeah, it was um, something I was very passionate about even before long-term care, you know, working in a retail pharmacy in a target setting, that was our big, um, you know, our, our big contest every year, I guess you could say, who can give the most vaccines in a retail pharmacy. And I always strove to win those. So it became something exciting and something that I was really confident in and um, something that just felt so easy to me and the patients appreciated it. I was surprised when I came to long-term care and saw that's not common in a long-term care pharmacy to vaccinate the communities that you serve asked a lot of questions why and you know probably what I know now is all the reasons why they weren't doing it um but it's still something I felt passionate about and you know regardless of what pharmacy setting you're in I still think it's a great service for pharmacists to offer so um you know I wouldn't say we're a true success story yet but we're getting there figuring out how to be as efficient as possible with it. And it is something I'm passionate about and, you know, kind of adds a little variety in your day to day and something to look forward to. I I think it's a little ironic that, uh, I mean, the first vaccines I administered was in a long-term care facility, probably before you were born, uh, (laughs) back when we did paper roster billing Mm -hmm. and yeah, and it fell out of, um, the demand just wasn't there for long-term care pharmacists to come in and do that. And it sort of faded away. And when I spent some time in, in the community setting, it wasn't there. And then later on, the demand hits the community setting and now it's coming back to long-term care again. So uh, again, just kudos to you for taking care of your patients. Yeah, we're, like I said, I love doing it, passionate about it. Um, It would be great if the staffing challenges would support it. I think that's a great limiting step in, you know, my proactiveness on 
calling local communities to set it up. Like, I feel like we're kind of lucky right now just to be able to meet the demand of the communities that are already in my book of business. Um, I can imagine if staffing challenges were not an issue, we would be able to really blow this out of the water, but um, it's a fine line to walk. Well, and it sounds like you've got a pretty efficient process to, to go through there. I, I know that uh, some of the smaller community settings, be, because of uh, just low volume and low staffing, they can't develop the workflow efficiencies that you have. So that, that's good. That's really good. Yeah, we've spent, spent a few years refining the process. Um, one thing that, you know, has been a challenge between last year and this year is the volume of flu shots to keep on hand. And I see that as a challenge that I don't know how to manage yet. So I'd love to hear your opinion on that. You know, we pre-book our vaccine in March and April, but the number can drastically change between March and April and October. I mean, look at 2020 just in itself, mm -hmm. the population census in a community in March of 2019 yeah. wasn't even existent by October of 2020. So we kind of balance a fine line there. We try to, you know, put a lot of thought into what number to pre-book, but ultimately at the end of flu season, if we don't administer those vaccines, it's what do you do? You just, yeah. you have to eat it. Yeah. Um, so this year we tried to work with the communities and help them understand that, that, you know, if you pre-book 60 vaccines, you're going to get 60 vaccines. That's great. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they don't great. like it though. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they well, don't like it. Yeah. Um, but you you know, we're trying to be proactive with them as well. If they pre-booked 60 vaccines and now today it's looking like they're only gonna need 45, we're telling them, bring in your spouses, bring yeah. in your family. Yeah. If yep, you can sure. get somebody, if you can get a body here, we'll give them the vaccine. Yeah. But it's not a sustainable business model if you don't prepare for that. Yeah. Have uh, you seen the census increasing in uh, in communities? Oh yes. Yeah. Yep, we have. Um, it's coming back. The census is coming back. I'm hearing waitlisting. I'm hearing. Oh wow. Um, you know, the demand is definitely back. Communities are or are more full than I've seen it in years. That's wow, waitlisting. That's interesting. That's that's back too. That's interesting. Yeah. It depends on where you are, but yes, I know one local community has a waitlist. So wow. So, Emily, about the time you get through with the uh, the COVID boosters and the flu and the pneumonia, uh, first quarter of next year, we're going to have an RSV uh, vaccine that's going to be introduced probably by as many as three different manufacturers. So, uh, you know, and the target audience for that is our, our geriatric patients. So um, about the time you... Get, take a breath over Christmas break. It's back at it again. Starting no kidding. Well, I guess the timing is good if you're saying there's no copay. Otherwise, exactly. there may not be a demand for it. But that's yeah. typically a, a slower month in the pharmacy, January and February. Last year, I remember there were days I sat in my office and thought, man, I don't have to do anything today. Like <laughs> I can run the yep. floor, but I don't, I'm not weeks behind. So um, you're telling me that's not going to be the case this year. Thanks. Uh, hopefully not. Hopefully not. Um, <laughs> it's very rare for that to happen but i do remember you know early last year thinking that this year we moved our pharmacy in december so january we were settling into our new space but last january i had a little bit of time to sit back and kind of reflect on what to do differently so yeah i remember you did move your pharmacy yeah but, but that's a major job on its own um, it is yeah. we were in a four thousand square foot 
medical office building, like a doctor's office. We had people bunked up in offices, like three or four people to an office. Um, yeah. So we moved in December to about 11,000 square feet and we've got some oh, room to grow. So congratulations. Good. Yeah, it was much overdue. So Jim, Emily mentioned something about uh, the APHA training manual. Just to give everybody a reference, APHA, ASCP, and NCPA, all three have great uh, COVID uh, resources on their websites and the and vaccines in general. So uh, for people who are looking for information, uh, those, those three organizations do a great job of keeping up with what's going on, getting the information out. And, uh, that's what I read every morning, Emily. What's happening at APHA, ASCP, and NCPA? I have to add that to my morning coffee routine before I get to the pharmacy. Yeah. Does that help with reporting in the state registries and so forth? Is, is that help in there as well? No, no. That, that's so unique to each state. And it's kind of uh, like 50 different Medicaid programs, huh? Yeah, it, exactly. And I think it was a problem before COVID, but during COVID, when there was a mandate for everyone who administered to report um, the the shortcomings of the state registries in many states, not all states, but in many states became glaringly obvious. And, and you know, there were a few states where prior to COVID, pharmacists had very little authority as far as vaccines. Um, mm -hmm. I, I was shocked, you know, here I am in South Carolina and everybody usually puts South Carolina at the bottom of the list of uh, being able to do things. South Carolina has got one of the best uh, pharmacist vaccine programs in the country where uh, if it's on the ACIP recommendations, we can do it. We can order it and administer it and bill it. So that, that's good. That's good. Now, Emily, you're, you're probably seeing extremes as to what can uh, what the pharmacist can do in 14 different states. You probably got good to bad and a lot in between. Yeah. We kind of stick to the basics there, uh, the flu and COVID with, you know, every state being different. So we haven't pushed the limits there too much, but um, it is drastically different even on the reporting side, state yeah. to state. Yeah. So with the PREP Act, the emergency orders, probably going to expire before, by the end of the year, probably, maybe longer, but probably will. And that's going to, that's going to alter what pharmacists can do in a number of states. If you, out of your 14 states, if you look forward to say, okay, my pharmacist can continue to do this under state orders versus the federal emergency orders. Have you been able to give that any thought yet? Or are you going to let uh, Yeah, actually we had to make some changes to our schedule because of that. Um, I'm licensed in eight states, but one of my like PRN pharmacist that loves doing this and helped out last year, can't help out this year outside of Illinois because he's not licensed outside of Illinois and Missouri. So I had to take on some of the clinics that we had scheduled for him to go to. I'm now going to, so we have made adjustments from scheduling, but um, it's not, you know, it's not great for me to be out of the pharmacy every day for five sure. weeks doing right. clinics. Yeah. Um, so I, was disappointed to hear that he's still willing to help out in the pharmacy, which is great. We can use him here, but um, yeah, it recently, you know, recently came up that we may not be able to operate the same way we did last year or the year before. So yeah. fortunately, because of the number of consultant pharmacists I have, and they go on site in these communities already, they're licensed and can help. So I don't have to do 
all 14 states by myself, but um, you do have to have a pharmacist licensed in the state typically yeah. to administer the vaccine. Yeah. Yeah. Well, good for those consultant pharmacists for stepping up and helping out too. Absolutely. Yeah. I think like all of us, when we started here in 2018, we we're only servicing Illinois. Um, so I think I took all eight MPJE exams in like a 15 month period. Um, but then asking, you know, other pharmacists that have been pharmacists for 20 years, haven't taken a board exam in 20 years. It's a little bit of a shell shock, but they stepped up. We got it done. Great. Well, I think I was 20 years after graduating and getting my license, I was still having nightmares about the boards. So, oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yep. It's not an, not an easy ask. Something that we normally talk about, uh, we call this the Integra X-Files, and it's kind of the X-Factor. And what we typically then ask our guest is, what do you think the X-Factor for you is? And let's say vaccination, prepare today, grow tomorrow. What do you think the X-Factor for you is in this, in, this, in this situation? Staffing. Staffing. Yeah. Staffing, I think the need is there, the demand is there, the reimbursement and revenue is there. Um, every clinic that I've scheduled, I've had to look at my in-house staffing. You know, we're still growing our primary business of filling prescriptions. I can't pull from that core staff, you know, to meet meet the demand. And I can't spread myself, you know, too thin personally either. Um, so staffing definitely is the challenge. Um, and then the reporting you know, the reporting requirement, even coming back in house, sometimes you have to decide, are you going to get the reporting done? Or are you going to get, you know, the medications out the door that need to be filled today? Yeah. And you mentioned staffing on the facility side as well, on the community side, that's an mm -hmm. issue as well. Yeah, yeah it is. Um, the clinics go very smoothly if the nursing staff that's there and the administrators are there to help you you know, kind of facilitate the residents, bring them to you. Mm -hmm. When you have to go room to room, it can take, you know, something that should take two hours suddenly takes six. Yeah. Okay. So having Good. a strong staff in the community um, helps the clinic go significantly smoother. Absolutely. I appreciate that. That's great. Yeah, I was in the long-term care pharmacy business as well. And not as a pharmacist, but as a, a business person, person that grew the business. So staffing, uh, probably wasn't much of an issue in many of those years uh, ago, but today with COVID and the change, we we had a podcast we did called The Great Resignation, and I think that still exists today uh, where we're seeing people that I think they found maybe a better quality of life by not working as much. I'm not sure how that works for most people, but some people like to do that, and I think that impacts you, impacts us, and any business today. So. It is. And it's something that scares me for the future, too. You know, like, what is it going to take to even bring people in the door? So exactly. I think that yeah. changes what every day looks like for pharmacists. Fortunately, the staffing shortage is not in pharmacists for me right now, maybe for some of the big chain pharmacies. Um, I've got good pharmacists, but, you know, they have to act as technicians on some days and do the data yeah. entry and do the filling, which they're not accustomed to. Right. Um, so I think the future in pharmacy looks very different. I, I think I agree. I think Ed probably does as well. Yes, it's I probably do. a whole separate podcast on yeah. what its future <laughs> yeah. staffing look like after the go. great resignation, but relevant today for sure. After uh, we got to figure out when after the great resignation is. Yeah. <laughs> um, Jim, I'm going to tag on to her answer with uh, a related answer. 
I, I think it's actually with billing and reimbursement because I think pharmacists uh, rose above and beyond during COVID. I mean, if you think about it, outside of a hospital emergency room, we as pharmacists were the only healthcare provider available to the general population. Physician offices were closed, dentist offices were closed, physical therapy offices were closed. The only healthcare professionals much of society had to turn to was a pharmacist. And we, we were, because of some emergency orders that allowed us to go above and beyond what we normally can legally do within mm -hmm. the state, we were able to help a lot of patients. And, you know, when the vaccine first came out, uh, they discovered that pharmacists can't lose money. Uh, the, you know, the initial reimbursement for the COVID vaccine did not cover your cost. Well, we were already absorbing so much, we couldn't absorb even more. Uh, so they raised the fee to, to $40. Well, then it made it easier for pharmacies, uh, for, for managers like Emily to look at her business model and say, okay, we can do this. But now as we see the majority of Medicare patients going to a Medicare Advantage plan versus a traditional uh, Medicare Part B plan, uh, it's a little bit scary to me and that all these services that pharmacists can provide to patients at a reasonable cost and we're much more accessible, uh, we're not going to be able to provide because we can't operate at a loss. Uh, Emily talked about how she had to look at the vaccines where right. she was losing money. Uh, we, we just can't do that. So I think pharmacists, pharmacists and pharmacy have a lot to offer, but if the powers to be are not willing to compensate us for what we're doing, then it's going to be hard to continue doing that. Yeah. And uh, that, that makes me sad because I, I see pharmacists, community and long-term care uh, just sometimes I think we relate to the patients more better than many others do. And, uh, and, and when you look at it overall, uh, we save the entire healthcare system money uh, when you do it more efficiently and we can do that. I think that's a very great point, very strong point. And I think that's why I'm, you know, I get so excited about these vaccine clinics because we do relate to the patient. It's, you know, rewarding to help somebody. And I think that was something I missed from my retail days when I got into long-term care. I had great relationships with my patients and got to see them in person. And this, you know, service of offering clinics brings a little bit of that back to the long-term care business. Yeah, not only yourself in the facility, but you mentioned the other day technicians that work in your pharmacy. Oh my gosh, my technician this morning that was going to go with me on this clinic came in and she goes, "Man, I was really looking forward, you know, to seeing all my people." I walk in and I tell them I know them because I know their name and I know every medication that they're on, but you know they don't know me, so um, she was disappointed. And yeah. she'll go back with me next week, but yeah, it, it's rewarding for them as well. Yep. Yeah. Most people don't grow up seeing, uh, you know, residents in a retirement community, assisted living or nursing, skilled nursing facility. So they don't understand. We have developers, we have employees that build the product for you to use. And they've never been in, let's say that that environment. So we're, we're trying to look at that as well to see how we can get our employees out uh, into pharmacies and facilities as well. So yeah. 
Yeah, and one of the things I think that also changed from COVID and pharmacists is the Long-Term Care Pharmacy Definition Act, which is still in process, but it'll help to define long-term care pharmacy. And I think that's a big thing that really came out of pharmacists stepping up during COVID. And, and I think Congress and Senate realizing that uh, that change and what and what pharmacists did. Anything else anybody would like to cover? Uh, if not, we'll come to a close today. And uh, we appreciate you being with us. Uh, very knowledgeable. We appreciate your time, your enthusiasm, and uh, interest in doing what you do. Thank you for inviting me. Um, I really appreciate it. And like I said, it's something I am passionate about. And I hope other pharmacists maybe hear this and decide to do the same. But um, it is rewarding, even if you know not financially rewarding. It's rewarding as a healthcare provider. Yep. Yeah. Agreed. All right. Well, thanks for being with us today. We appreciate it, and have a great weekend. Thanks, Jim. Thanks, Emily. Thank you. Thanks, Ed. Yeah. Thank, thank you. Thanks for listening to the Integra X Files. Subscribe today at IntegraXFiles.com and be entered to win a pair of Apple AirPods Max. Integra knows software is only part of running a successful long-term care pharmacy. Get easy access to thought-leading content on operations, growth, technology, and policy at IntegraXFiles.com. Giveaway entry period ends November 30th, 2022.